As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Let's go to Michelle, writer Michelle McDonough, um, whose, whose book, by the way, who debut novel, novel, there's something I have to tell you. Michelle, something I have to tell you, it's one of my top three books of the entire oh year God. of 2023. I, I loved and adored it, and I hope there's a, a new book soon. But Thank Michelle, you. you met Shane. You were sent to do a story and you yes. and, and take it up from there in Boston. Morning. Okay, okay. Now, it wasn't my finest moment, and it certainly wasn't the high point of my journalistic career. <laughs> I'll have to say that from the outset. So, yes, it was McGann's Pub in Boston, and it was, I can't remember if it was 1999 or 2000, around that time. Mm. I was working for the uh, the Irish Voice in Boston at the time, and I was sent to cover a gig with Shane. And I think he was the Popes at the time, not the Pogues. Mm. From, it's, it's all a bit vague. So uh was sent to cover the gig, well, to do an interview with him before the gig, but he didn't turn up because uh, they just basically just about got him to the gig. He was late and got him on stage and he performed. Now, he did have, I can remember, he had IRA written across his forehead in black marker. And um, so I thought the gig was, or the interview was not going to happen and I proceeded to get absolutely hammered. The bar was jammed <laughs> so we were drinking pints of uh, vodka and Red Bull because it was just e- double vodka and Red Bull because rather than having to queue up, you know, we just we said, right, you would buy in bulk and um, mm. young Irish people enjoying the gig. Now, I knew nothing really about apart from Fairy Tale of New York. I wasn't a fan. Uh, I was into dance music at the time but it was just amazing. It was an electric gig even mm-hmm. though he was hammered as well so anyway that was grand and coming towards the end of the gig I was with um, one of the guys from the Irish Voice who had been in contact with Shane's manager to set up the the interview and he said okay the interview is going ahead and I was like oh okay Um, (laughs) now I was really really well on it at this point so I just remember we were in a back kitchen in McGann's I was sitting on some kind of a dishwasher Shane was sitting on some other, I don't know, a counter or a countertop or something. There was, there was an, a reporter from the Boston Globe and Shane's manager and a few other people. And I have absolutely no idea of the questions that I asked him. I know he was, there was a bit of a rant about uh, Sinead O'Connor. They'd fallen out at the time. It was around the time she reported him to the, the cops in London for heroin possession. She was trying to help him. And actually, I read a very funny line yesterday in an interview 
where he later said that uh, they, they made friends again, mm. and he later thanked him, thanked her for yeah. for saving they, his they life. They adored each other. It's in her book. They they adored each other. They did. Yeah. They did. They did. But and and he thanked her for saving his life. But, but made a point of saying, but I don't recommend that you rat out your friends to the cops. <laughs> so that was, you know, just his typical personality. But anyway, whatever happened, I ended up somehow lying flat on the floor on my back. No oh, idea shit. how this was. This was this was a mid-interview. Um, uh, the memory, the rest of the night is very hazy, but that memory of lying on the floor is seared into my brain with shame. Looking up, Shane McGowan didn't have his teeth done at the time, and he had this it's this inimitable laugh you'd hear it in interviews where it's like it's kind of a, a bit of a hiss and there's a, there's a chuckle that comes from the back of his throat mm. and he was bursting his arse laughing at me um, and but he did he, he was a gentleman he did lend, lend a hand to, to help me up off the floor and um, he I, I, I remember being surprised that his accent was so he's such a London accent because I thought he was Irish. I didn't. I knew so little about him, and his, he sounded Irish when he sang. Mm. So anyway, he. I told him we were having a housewarming party that night out in Brighton, in our Irish party house, and he was all on to come out to the party. But his manager <laughs> put a stop to that, which was just as well, because that descended into chaos and ended up with the the Boston PD making an appearance and everything. Um, but at your house party, day, at the house party, yeah, there was a there was a hurley uh, a door. The lads from upstairs came down and I think they weren't invited to the party or something and they decided they were going to come in anyway and the hurley was used to, to try and gain entrance. But it was just a mad Irish party house. Luckily, we didn't have Shane there in the middle of it all. Oh, but the next day, when I went to look at my notes, I couldn't. It was just scribble. <laughs> there, was, there was a footprint from somewhere um, on the page. But didn't the reporter in the Boston Globe write, um, I'd love to have a copy of it. Now, I can't even find a copy of my article that I wrote. Um, but he wrote about uh, Shane McGowan having the crowd in his hand and one young woman literally falling at his feet. So he kind of made out that it was some kind of, a, you know, a starstruck swoon <laughs> where really I was probably drunker than Shane was. And I mean, neither of us were doing, <laughs> were doing much favours to typical drunken Irish stereotypes. Um, so I couldn't write my interview with Shane McGowan. You couldn't write your it. name at that stage. Yeah, yeah. Well, the next day I couldn't read my notes and I don't think there was anything coherent on the page. So I ended up stretching about, I think it was about a thousand words at the time of an in, of a story about how I met Shane McGowan and ended up drunker than him and made a total fool of myself and fell at his feet and they printed it, <laughs> but I can't find it now. Where is the quiet demure, self-effacing newspaper journalist that I worked the press with around town, Michelle. What happened to her? Well, you see, they were they were my wild days. They were my wild days, PJ. I can't I get I, I get a hangover and two glasses of rose now. But yeah, they were they were my wild days. Great memories, great memories. Yeah. And he yeah. knew well, he, coming. he was he was he was fantastic. Like, you know, the charisma that he had and the warmth yeah. and just you couldn't not take to him. I just, you know, from from that night, then I I, I began to follow him in his music and and all of that. But he was he was amazing. He was fantastic, and like that he was yeah. lovable, very very lovable. You'd yeah, yeah. Any book coming? Yeah. Any new book coming? Uh, I do next March. Uh, I think the name it still it hasn't been confirmed, but it's going to be something knows. I think. Okay. All right. Um, 
yeah, it was going to be somebody out there knows something. <laughs> oh, brilliant. <laughs> really. Well, 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 well too, too long. Yeah. I meant what I said. Uh, Michelle McDonough, if you want looking for a book for a Christmas stocking for somebody, you want to buy somebody an Irish book, uh, a book by an Irish female author, pick that up. It's the debut book. came out this year by Michelle McDonough. Oh, pal of mine. Uh, something I Have to Tell You is the name of the book. It's a wonderful read. You get it in any good bookshop. Thanks, <laughs> Michelle. What a memory. <laughs> Brilliant. Ah, we ah, ah it's Carol there. I will I go to Carol first, I will. Carol, you met him at the Savoy. I did, PJ. Um I did. It was it was just one of these magical memories that I thought would never happen. Mm. So um they were down in Cork, it was a little woman's Christmas, um, one year. So um I happened to be good friends with Sharon Shannon and she was playing with them at the time. Yes. So there was him Monday. Um, he had Spider with him, um, a lovely singer called Tanya McCall, and there was just a whole gang of them. So Sharon invited me along to the gig, and she knew, like, I love the song Fairy Tale of New York. So to hear it sing live, oh, I get chills on my neck every time I think of it. I was just absolutely blown away. Mm-hmm. So I was backstage with Sharon, and she knew, like, I was, like, starstruck. So she said to me, come with her. And she brought me down to his changing room and I went in there and I was like in awe. I was starstruck and um, because my brother, my eldest brother was a big fan of the Pogue. So I'd always listened to their music growing up. So anyway, she asked could we come in and he came in and, you know, um, he just hugged me. He gave me this gigantic hug and um, we had a few words and I was like, like, I'm never short for words, but I was speechless and I was shaking so much talking to him. But he was just so sincere and mm-hmm. genuine and made you feel so comfortable, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, I had to laugh because sometimes when I meet people like that, especially the men, they try to, you know, for the photograph, they normally sit you on their knees. But I'm not as lightweight <laughs> as he thought I was. So... He went, he put me up on his knee, but we all just laughed because, uh, yeah, I'm way heavier than people think. <laughs> so we just had a good giggle about that, like, and his his whistle pay, player, Spider, was just clagging me, and I was just mortified, but so it was so funny. And it was just, like, such a precious moment for me that I talk about it every year. Do you still and have the picture? Ended. What? Do you have the picture? Yeah, we had the picture, and we took the photographs, and... Um, yeah, and I had recorded him singing um, Fairy Tale in New York Live, so I put it up every Christmas. And it's one of these priceless memories that you cherish forever. So to hear his passing yesterday, I felt like it was a knife in my heart, you know, because he's such an iconic legend. And when you're in his presence, you felt in the presence of greatness. I have it there now in front of me. That's a fantastic photo, Carol. That's a gorgeous photo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it'll become even more precious to me now. It will. It will. Listen, great to talk to you, my friend. And I've been playing Fairy Tale in a few minutes, so I think I think listeners will forgive me if I dedicate it to my pal Carol. We know who it was doing the duets on a Friday morning. Frank, explain yourself. Morning. <laughs> morning, morning, PJ. How are you? All right. I knew you were right. in music, of course, and I didn't know you did early morning sessions with Shane McGowan. Tell me more. Well, it, it wasn't quite like that. I mean, we weren't booked together, mm. nor anything like that, you know, through Noel Magner and like that. Yeah. But I was working nights, 
um, in McCartan Street in the taxi base in McCartan Street. Yeah. And sure, you finish your nights kind of on Friday morning and you'll be off for the weekend. So you finish at maybe half six, seven o'clock. Mm. And sure, we, Friday morning we'd all go down to Derry in the Ivy area in Corbo Street. Yeah. Sure, he was open at seven. Well, officially seven, but he'd often be oh, he'd forget to close the night before, like, but uh, <laughs> so half in there, six or seven of us half in there anyway for our early morning coffee, of course. I can, of course, and uh, sure, who was sitting there, Shane and Victoria, <sighs> and this, this was, I well, I'm almost certain it was this was just 89, I think, okay. And uh, sure, we were there, and I'm sure, I mean, obviously we were starstruck, but I mean, the chat started, and just so down to work, he was like, he swear he was there all week with us, and next, out from behind the bar, Derry pulls out a guitar, because he knew I played, and he threw it over anyway, so the session got going, and she says, I'm honoured to say, I done fairy tale, I done Soho, and Walsh and Matilda. Ah, with, Frank. With Shane. And, uh... In the days before think, video, huh? Oh, yeah, the day before, the days before. I mean, you could imagine it today now with a, a, an iPhone, like. But, um, I think I asked him until around midday, and sure, Shane was only getting his second breath at that stage. And <laughs> so we we were carted home by our own taxis, obviously, like. But you know something? One of the most down-to-earth, genuine... You know, the best tribute I can say now is that he was Brendan Bean... Sinead O'Connor, Johnny Rotten, and Sid, Sid Vicious, all in one. All rolled into one, and as gentle as a kitten. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I, just on another point, I don't think any of us put our hands in our pockets the whole morning. Yeah. Though no, there's a great yeah. story told about a pub in London um, where he was known as a young fella. And when he was starting out in the music business, you love this, Frank, he used to go into this pub. And when Fairy Tale of New York was finally finished and released he went in and about 10 or 11 o'clock at night the barman said alright now you've had enough go on good luck get out of here and, 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 and get out of here go on good luck and a week later Fairy Tale of New York was in the top five and Shane came in with the band and into the pub and says I've been coming in here since I'd nothing a pint for the whole house yeah, yeah. Except that, that for be. that bugger over there. <laughs> <laughs> but that would be... No, PJ, am I right to say it? Very attentive. No, yeah, didn't actually go to number one then. It didn't. Not yet. I think, I think it went to it. number... I think it went number two or three or something. It was, it was kept off the number one spot by the Pet Shop Boys. Is that what it was? It was. The Pet Shop and Boys covered Willie Nelson's song Always On My Mind. And they well, had the oh, Christmas I remember. I remember That's yeah, I remember me dad telling me about that. All right. Uh, That's right. But, um, but, um, Go away, you, you know, mess her. Go away, you mess her. Isn't it great that he lived to see the walk brigade try to ruin his song? Let's not even go there. Let's go not on. even go, go there. And they, and, 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 and they never and they never did. Frank, well, tre- oh. memories to treasure, my friend. Memories to Thanks treasure. Thanks a lot, PJ. Take care, fella. 0818 96, 96. It was a song that they started writing in 1985. There was a bet. This is the story. His manager, the manager bet them that he couldn't write a Christmas song. And he said, right, let me add it. And he got together with a fellow called Jem Finer and they wrote Fairy Tale of New York. 
Originally, he recorded the whole thing himself. And that didn't quite suit. But Steve Lillywhite, who was the producer of the song at the time, was married to Kirsty McCall. Took the song home into their home studio and she sang the lyric, the entire lyric, from a woman's point of view. And they brought the tape into the recording studio and Shane loved what she'd done with it. So he recorded the duet over her tape of the lyrics. They never actually met while they were recording the song. And it never went to number one for Christmas until I have a sneaking suspicion it will now. But since it's been released, how's this here, right? Released in 1987. And pretty much every year since, it has earned £500,000 sterling in royalties for Shane. And indeed, of course, for... For Kirsty's estate as well, because she died tragically in a boating accident a few years later. Corks 96 FM.